0: Murdering! Murdering. Flight 647 The year was 2024, and Flight 647 from New York to Paris was cruising at a smooth 30,000 feet above the Atlantic. Inside the Airbus A380, the hum of the engines and the low murmur of passengers filled the cabin as people settled in for the long journey ahead. Among them was a diverse group of individuals with their own secrets, stories, and motivations, unaware that the next few hours would change their lives forever. As the in-flight movie played on individual screens, a middle-aged man named Arthur Sterling sat in seat 7A. He was a tall, bespectacled fellow with a meticulous appearance, an accountant by profession, who was meticulous in every aspect of his life. His wife, Elaine, sat beside him, her attention divided between the movie and her novel. Two rows behind them, in seat 9C, a young woman named Claire Donovan was engrossed in her laptop. Claire was a computer programmer, a brilliant mind who had little interest in socializing. Her gaze occasionally wandered to the men sitting in 7A, Arthur Sterling, who had always been a source of curiosity for her. She had noticed his peculiar habits, his frequent visits to the lavatory, the anxious glances he cast around, and his habit of adjusting his glasses whenever something disturbed him. In seat 6D, there sat a family of three, Mark, his wife Sarah, and their teenage son, Ethan, Mark was a successful lawyer, always looking for opportunities to engage in intellectual debates with fellow passengers. His wife Sarah was a nurse, compassionate and warm-hearted, while their son Ethan was a quiet, introverted teenager with a passion for sketching. Meanwhile, in seat 2F, a confident and stylish woman named Isabel Thompson sipped her champagne. She was a travel blogger who had seen the world's wonders but never tired of exploring. Her seatmate, a nervous first-time flyer named David, clung to his armrest, his knuckles turning white with every bump of turbulence. As the hours passed, the flight attendant served dinner, and the passengers settled into a comfortable rhythm. But just as the plane was about to enter the endless expanse of the Atlantic Ocean, chaos erupted. A loud, blood-curdling scream pierced the air, followed by the clatter of dinner trays crashing to the floor. In the middle of the aisle, sprawled on the carpet, lay a lifeless body. It was Arthur Sterling, his face contorted in agony, and his glasses askew. Panic spread among the passengers, and flight attendants rushed to the scene, desperately trying to revive him. We need a doctor, one of the flight attendants cried out. Mark, the lawyer, was quick to respond. He pushed his way through the crowd, his legal instincts kicking in. With Sarah, the nurse, assisting him, they attempted to resuscitate Arthur. But it was too late. He was dead. The plane's captain announced that they would be making an emergency landing in Newfoundland to ensure a proper investigation. The cabin was abuzz with speculation and fear, as the passengers exchanged nervous glances. Everyone had a theory about what had happened to Arthur Sterling. Claire, the computer programmer, watched the scene unfold with a cold detachment. Her analytical mind began to process the situation. Was it a heart attack? Poisoning. She couldn't help but suspect foul play. Her eyes darted to Isabel, who appeared remarkably composed for someone on a plane with a dead body. Isabel, on the other hand, was busy texting furiously on her phone. Her message, however, was not to report the incident but to someone named Henry. She seemed more concerned with her online followers than the tragedy unfolding before her. David, the nervous first-time flyer, was trembling in his seat, convinced that the plane was cursed. He couldn't shake the feeling that something sinister was afoot. As the plane touched down in Newfoundland, investigators boarded and began their inquiry. The passengers were questioned, and their alibis scrutinized. Arthur's body was taken away for an autopsy, and the rest of the passengers were instructed to remain on the plane. The first twist in the story came when the autopsy results were revealed. It was not a heart attack or poisoning that had claimed Arthur Sterling's life. It was a single stab wound to the heart. The murder weapon, a slender, sharp object, had been expertly thrust into his chest, leaving no trace of struggle or defensive wounds. This revelation sent shockwaves through the cabin. The passengers were now not only faced with the death of a fellow traveler but with the terrifying reality that a murderer was among them. Suspicions ran high, and accusations flew. Mark, the lawyer, pointed fingers at Claire, the cold and calculating computer programmer. He argued that her analytical mind made her the perfect candidate to commit such a crime without leaving a trace. Claire, in turn, accused Isabel, the travel blogger, of being too composed and detached from the situation. She believed Isabel's text message to Henry was suspicious. Isabel defended herself by claiming that she was merely updating her followers about the unfolding drama, a potential scoop for her travel blog. Meanwhile, David remained the nervous wreck, his anxiety intensifying as he feared that he was trapped on a plane with a murderer. Sarah, the nurse, tried to maintain calm and reason. She suggested they all work together to uncover the truth rather than pointing fingers at one another. Her plea for unity resonated with some passengers, but tension still hung in the air. As the hours dragged on during the emergency stopover, the passengers were confined to their seats, and the investigators continued to gather evidence. They examined the cabin, searching for the murder weapon, fingerprints, and any other clues that might reveal the killer's identity. The investigators discovered something curious in Arthur Sterling's seat pocket, A torn piece of paper with a message scrawled on it in shaky handwriting. It read, you'll pay for what you did. The message appeared to be a threat, and it raised more questions than answers. Who had a motive to harm Arthur, and why? Isabel, the travel blogger, claimed she had seen Arthur arguing with a man near the lavatories earlier in the flight. She described the man as disheveled and agitated, but she couldn't recall his face or any distinguishing features. Claire, the computer programmer, remained quiet but observant. She knew that solving this murder would require more than just pointing fingers, it would require piecing together the puzzle of motives, opportunities, and alibis. With no immediate breakthrough, the passengers grew increasingly anxious. It seemed that everyone had a motive, and no one could be trusted entirely. The tension in the cabin was palpable. As the hours turned into a day, the investigators finally made a breakthrough. Fingerprints were found on the torn piece of paper in Arthur's seat pocket. They belonged to David, the nervous first-time flyer. He was promptly detained for questioning. David, trembling and tearful, admitted to writing the threatening message. He revealed that he had overheard Arthur arguing with a mysterious man near the lavatories. David claimed he had seen them man slip something into Arthur's drink just before he returned to his seat. Panicked and fearing for his own life, David had written the message as a warning to Arthur. This revelation turned the investigation on its head. David's story seemed plausible, but it also raised new questions. Who was the mysterious man he had seen? What had he put in Arthur's drink, and why? Isabel, the travel blogger, suddenly remembered something. She had snapped a photo of Arthur and the mysterious man during their argument, intending to use it for a dramatic blog post. She quickly retrieved her camera from her carry-on bag and showed the image to the investigators. In the photo, Arthur Sterling was clearly visible, his face contorted in anger. But the mysterious man had his back to the camera, concealing his identity. However, a small detail caught Claire's eye, the man's shoes. They were distinctive, a rare and expensive brand that she recognized from her meticulous observations. Claire discreetly slipped out of her seat and made her way to the lavatories, where she discreetly surveyed the passenger's footwear. It didn't take her long to spot the matching shoes on the feet of none other than Mark, the lawyer. Returning to her seat, Claire's mind raced. She couldn't be certain, but the evidence pointed to Mark as the mysterious man who had argued with Arthur and possibly poisoned his drink. She knew she needed more concrete proof before making any accusations. The tension on the plane escalated as the investigators questioned Mark about the argument with Arthur. He admitted to the argument but vehemently denied any involvement in his murder. He claimed that he had returned to his seat after the argument and had not seen Arthur again until he was found dead. Claire decided to dig deeper into Mark's alibi. She discreetly approached Sarah, Mark's wife, and engaged her in conversation. She learned that Sarah had taken a sleeping pill shortly after dinner and had been asleep for most of the flight, leaving her husband alone in the cabin. With this information, Claire confronted Mark directly, asking him why he had lied about his whereabouts during the flight. Mark stumbled over his words, realizing he had been caught in a lie. He finally admitted that he had returned to the lavatories after the argument, but he claimed he had only wanted to apologize to Arthur. The investigators pressed Mark further, searching his belongings. They found a vial of a powerful sedative in his bag, the same substance that had been used to poison Arthur. Mark claimed he had it for personal use, but the evidence was damning. As the plane resumed its journey to Paris, Mark was detained by authorities waiting at Charles de Gaulle airport. The passengers watched in a mixture of relief and disbelief as the man they had initially suspected was led away in handcuffs. The flight continued in somber silence. The passengers were left with questions that may never be fully answered. Had they witnessed a murder mystery unfold before their eyes, or had they merely been caught in a web of coincidence and misunderstanding? Claire, the computer programmer, returned to her laptop, her mind still processing the events of the past day. She couldn't shake the feeling that there was more to the story than met the eye, that perhaps they had all been deceived by a clever killer. As the plane touched down in Paris, the passengers disembarked, their lives forever changed by the events at 30,000 feet. They would never forget the day when a murder mystery had unfolded in the sky, and they had all become suspects and detectives in their own right. And so, dear reader, the story of Flight 647 concludes, leaving you with the same questions that haunted the passengers of Flight 647. Who did it? What were the true motives behind the murder? The answers may remain a mystery, lost in the vast expanse of the Atlantic Ocean, forever hidden among the clouds.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to a walking version of Murder by Algorithm. Hey, welcome. It's just a version where we're walking, so it's basically the same but we sound out of breath.
2: Let's talk about this one, Murder in the Air, huh? <laughs> hey. How about that? If you can't hear our daughter in the background... You should. You should. So I guess, where do we even start? I mean, this one... So this one's
1: a future episode.
2: Yeah, it takes place next year.
1: Super interesting. It Will it happen? Did the AI predict an event? I don't know. Probably, Probably not. This isn't The Simpsons.
2: No. It's pretty good, though. One of the better ones. One yeah. of the ones that,
1: like, days didn't turn into weeks.
2: No, they turned into hours.
1: And it turned into a day. Yeah. But it was more to the point, and... Less filled with fluff as a result There's of There's actually this.
2: more than two characters in it, which was pretty good. Yeah.
1: I think this one, I'm hoping, my theory is that it has a little bit of a more intellectual ending. Um, so do we just want to dive into our guesses? Yeah.
2: So let's talk about, we had Mark, the lawyer, Sarah, his wife, who's a nurse.
1: Ethan, their moody emo artist's son.
2: David, who is uh, a nurse. <laughs> first time flyer yeah um
1: claire the uh book or not bookworm but computer programmer who like was anti-social
2: yes she was the one who basically turned into a part-time detective i love it how they do that in these stories
1: and then isabel our social media blogger
2: yes the wino
1: and then arthur and his wife elaine and i think those are our main characters
2: i think that's it and obviously um arthur being the one that was murdered Yep. Uh, Mark and Sarah were the first on the scene. Yeah, because the lawyer
1: was the best choice as doctor.
2: Wait, what? What? I don't know. I'll say there was a little, there was several things to throw us off. There was like the matching shoes.
1: Well, and then like secondarily, they're like, oh yeah. And also Arthur was poisoned with a sedative, but they threw it in later. Like it was like a known fact.
2: then, then they say in the autopsy they found nothing except for a stab wound and that was his... Yeah. how he died oh no well, they that did, is they how did, he died the sorry. sedative
1: didn't kill him yeah
2: they did find a sedative in his system right and so i personally think it's david it's you david yo david um just because the note he got basically was threatening to begin with Which he was his looking fingerprints around were on. his fingerprints were on it was shaky he they indicated that he was nervous the entire time or was he jazzed with adrenaline over killing a man yeah I, honestly that's where the evidence points. Now, is this thing No, no, sir.
1: I actually think it's Sarah. But. I think it's Mark's wife. She has a extensive background in anatomy and the body. She'd know exactly where to stab a man for it to be lethal. And obviously her husband Mark and Tried to Arthur cover it up. were having some kind of disagreement. They were, yeah. And he gave her a sedative that Sarah had that she probably stole from her hospital the well, a conniving
2: and lady. The two of them did were the first on the scene, and they could have planted something on him at the time. I think that's when she stabbed him, is when they went over to check him. I
1: think he collapsed, he collapsed and they stabbed from him from the sedative, hmm. and then Sarah went over and
2: see, stabbed him. See, that's too him. clever, though, but I guess we'll see.
1: But I think, since Arthur is an accountant, there's some kind of money issue. Yeah. Maybe he laundered from the Marks Law Firm. Maybe Marks Law Firm was going under, and Arthur was gonna like ruin him. But that's my theory: is that it's Sarah, and it's diabolical.
2: I mean, that's very clever if she this story. She took it into yeah. her
1: hands for her husband.
2: If this story did take that clever turn, I would applaud it. I'd applaud it. I really would.
1: But can you applaud me?
2: Yeah, because I came Hell up yeah. with it. I'll so... applaud you. Thank you. Any day of the week. So I mean it pointed to either one of two people, Mark or David. But what's David's motive? I don't know. He doesn't know how to fold the cheese. He's nervous. That's his motive. He's nervous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. right. so I think it's time to find out who it is. Let's find out.
2: Alright everybody, so here we go. The identity of the killer in the story is Mark the lawyer. No! He poisoned Arthur Sterling as an act of revenge. The argument between Mark and Arthur had deeper roots. No. Stemming from professional betrayal that Mark believed had ruined his career. Yeah, okay, I
1: had half of it, but I still think it's Sarah.
2: It would've been more creative.
1: And maybe Sarah hated her husband and then got him sent away.
2: The murder was Mark's twisted way of seeking retribution for the perceived injustice. So what do we think? I'm mad. (laughs) I just am always mad. I feel like that one was a little too on the nose. Like, yeah, they did throw you off a little bit. I guess it threw me off, right? Because I guess, I guess it's, wrong.
1: it's almost a throw off by being like, JK, it is the person we said it
2: was. That's true. It does throw you off a little bit.
1: Oh, uh, no, I think I see. I'm just disappointed now that my theory was so much better than that. It was like that with a cherry. Well, I mean, the
2: last one, your, your theory of why couldn't we have a cannibalistic I know. trick or eat
1: is that so much for a girl? To ask for. He's just a crazy maniac, homicidal, <laughs> cannibal.
2: No, no, it's not. All right. so I mean, I, honestly, that one was pretty good. We enjoyed that a lot more than the last several. Oh. As you can hear, probably our daughter might have enjoyed that, although she didn't listen to it. She didn't. Nope. Thank you everybody for tuning in with us. It's Sarah. I'm taking this yeah. one. It's Sarah? Okay. Thanks. Well, Happy murdering, everybody, and uh, see you in the next one. See you in the next one. Take care. Bye. Bye.
0: Murder by algorithm.